Hello, welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me, as always, David Dixon. David, what's going on? What's going on, Kelly? NBA Finals time. Can't wait. It's finally the finals. But let's go back to the Eastern Conference Finals, which concluded this past weekend. The Bucks and the Raptors, what was your main takeaway from the series? My main takeaway is Kawhi is fully back. He's back to being the top five player in the world that we all grew accustomed to seeing when he was with the Spurs the last couple of years. When you just look at the box score from, from game six, he has you know 27 points, 17 rebounds, seven assists, guarding Giannis on, on, on the defensive end, just doing everything and carrying Toronto to the finals. That, that was my, my main takeaway was just it just is great to see Leonard, even though he's hobbling a little bit and clearly he's not 100% physically, it's great to see him performing on the biggest stage because he's one of the biggest stars in the NBA right now. Yeah, last year he was out of sight, out of mind. And this year you can make the argument he rested 22 games in the regular season, only played in 60 games. But in the postseason, he's probably the most valuable player. One of my main takeaways from this series is I'm starting to believe in Kyle Lowry in the postseason. He struggled immensely. You're back on the Lowry bandwagon. I love it. I'm back. I'm back. He averaged 19, 5 and 5 against the Bucks. But I mean, I think just Toronto, like, I feel like they deserve this, right? 100%. For the past five years, they've run into, you know, be it LeBron James when he was in Miami or LeBron James when he was in Cleveland. And then Musayu Jerry took a massive gamble. And kind of regardless of what happens from here on out, I think we can say that Kawhi Leonard trade paid dividends. Oh, 100%. That that Kawhi trade, even though you had to give up DeRozan, uh, a guy who really wanted to be in Toronto, and obviously making the finals makes that trade so worth it because if you think about, you know, it was such a long time ago, Kelly, two weeks ago, Bucks are up 2-0, and the narrative was the same with the Raptors. It's, oh, they, they were stuck in the, the LeBron era, and now it's they're, it's they're in the Giannis era, it felt like two weeks ago, where they were never going to be able to get past the, the next great player. And I just give them a lot of credit. They, they showed a level of resiliency that they haven't shown in the past. With a lot of the same guys, if you think about it, uh, Lowry being a big part, uh, Pascal Siakam, and they, you, you got to give a lot of credit to Leonard and Gasol and Danny Green is that they brought back these veterans who had been through the playoff battles and I think their leadership on the court, you know, being down 2-0, really, you know, the series wasn't over. And their leadership really, I think, helped carry them behind the scenes into being resilient and still thinking that they had a chance. Yeah, a guy who you didn't mention who played sensational, Fred Van Vliet, he had a, he had a kid midway through the series. And since the birth of his newborn, he shot 13 of 17 from three. Let's pivot quickly to the Bucks. Yep. The, like Giannis, kind of what you just mentioned. They everyone was kind of saying, "Hey, Toronto's run into another buzzsaw that is Giannis and Tedekumpo. And you, you know, he was crowned kind of early and it seems like he's going to have to go through some of these growing pains that a lot of guys have gone through. You know, there's 
when guys enter the league, there's like this four to five year honeymoon stage where we're just kind of enamored with their talent and they can do no wrong. And, you know, LeBron and KD went through this. And then up to a certain point, if you don't deliver the goods, meaning, you know, win and win championships, you're you're going to be put under the microscope. And I think Giannis is getting to that stage where this we, we, we spoke about previously. He has a five year, 250, 247 million dollar extension possibly heading his way. This is a big offseason for the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, I mean, it's absolutely huge because Giannis is clearly clearly the guy. So it's going to be how do they keep structuring the team best around them? They're definitely not going to be able to sign Brooke Lopez to another $3 million contract. So he's going to probably ask for a lot more money. So it's, we'll see if they, they have that. Middleton's a free agent, so they might lose him. And I think it's kind of it's, it's an offseason of where, where do they go from here? Because they could go a lot of different directions. Because Giannis is going to get better. He's only 24. And it's what pieces do we put around him to best utilize him? Because this Bucks team was awesome. I don't want people to forget that just because they lost this series doesn't mean that they weren't awesome this year. They won 60 games, dominated up until game three of this series. And I think that the Bucks will get creative and, and find new ways to compliment Giannis and try to push this team over the edge. Because if you think about it, depending on what Durant does and what Kawhi does, the, the ease really could be theirs. Yeah, that's a really good point. Middleton is for me he's not an ideal second option i think he's a great third option but i really think the bucks they have a they have a bunch of i'd say b-level guys and they really need a sidekick to Giannis. and i'm not sure if that player is currently on the roster so that's something to keep an eye on and i think you know they, they need someone who they can just go to and that person can create a bucket lou williams those type of guys don't grow on trees but i think they just need a guy who can come in maybe even with that second unit and just score the ball because it was evident when Giannis rests, the Bucks struggle mightily. And here's a guy who's just looking around. He's looking for some help. And they were a juggernaut all season. Don't get me wrong. But when push came to shove and somebody needed to make a bucket, it, it, it was Giannis or bust. And Kawhi took advantage of that. And that's why the Raptors are headed to the finals. Yeah. And it'll be interesting because Milwaukee's not known as a, as a free agent destination by any means. So it'll be interesting to see if they are able to acquire that type of player in a trade. I maybe, I don't know if they could pull it off, but I think Bradley Beal would fit really well with this team. I have no idea. I'm just, you know, speaking freely here that, you know, I don't know if they have the package for it, but I think Brad Beal would would fit really nicely next to Yas. It would be a very good complimentary piece or maybe a CJ McCollum type. I think the Bradley Beal, that'd be very interesting. And, you know, maybe I'm just theorizing in my head right now, as you said, that if Milwaukee was – inclined to eat the John Wall contract somehow and dish because Malcolm Brogdon's about to get paid too so maybe they deal Brogdon Bledsoe I'm not sure about the exact numbers behind it I have to do a little more thinking but I think that's definitely an interesting interesting you know in theory possibly getting Bradley Beal to the Bucks to play with Giannis that'd be a killer duo but I I, I think going back to what you were saying about Milwaukee being a free agent destination when LeBron was in Cleveland the first time around, I mean, the second time around, they also kind of struggled, but it, it was hard for him, even though he was 
probably the the marquee talent in the league to attract people to Cleveland. And I think Cleveland and Milwaukee, in terms of you know Midwest destinations, not huge markets, I think they're they're very similar in that respect. I do think that there is one key difference, though, is that when LeBron was in Cleveland the first time, so basically 03 to to 09, let's let's say, guys didn't really move around that much. We weren't in the as as Simmons calls it the the player empowerment era, where I could see a guy's you know being more willing to go to a Milwaukee and play with Giannis because. I don't think that the city means as much nowadays. You see Paul George re-signing in Oklahoma City, Dame staying in Portland, CJ staying in in Portland. You know, I think that just because guys move around a lot more, like couldn't you see Jimmy Butler saying like, "Oh, I could help push the Bucks over the edge," and he wouldn't mind going to Milwaukee? I don't think it's as big a deal anymore. I agree with you. That's a, that's a good point. Like whether you're in New Orleans, like Zion is likely going to be, or you're in LA, sure, maybe there's some marketing dollars to be had that might be missed out on. But in the grand scheme of things, if you're good and you're an attractive team and, and people want to watch you, they're going to put you on ESPN regardless of where you play. There's guys in various locales across the league that 15 to 20 years ago, they might not be as well known, but just because of how pervasive the NBA is in, in modern culture, it's not it's not really so much of a, a a crazy thing to think that Giannis might spend his entire career in Milwaukee because he doesn't. It, 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 we're past the days where he has to be in LA or New York. And and I agree, but it's it's also what, what I think too is that I think that the players know a lot more about this too. And that they know that, hey, if I go to Milwaukee and team up with Giannis on a two- or three-year contract and we win, because winning is what gets you marketing. Obviously, playing in New York and L.A. helps, but if you win, you get marketed a lot, too. So if they can go win in Milwaukee, they'll be marketed just as much as if they were a first- or second-round exit team in in New York or, or Brooklyn per se, but in terms of where of what Giannis I think is going to be thinking about this off season, if I'm him and from everything that that he said, I would want to sign that. If the Bucks do offer me that supermax, I would want to sign it as soon as possible just to get the, the distraction out of the way about me. And because he seems like a really big team guy, and if and if he signs that contract right away. It's all the pressures off him in terms of like what his decision is going to be, and all the focus can be on the Bucks and their team going forward. I agree with that. That's that's would be the selfless thing to do. But I also think him not signing it, he holds leverage over the team. So now he can say, please, like, go make a move, improve this roster. Whereas if he signs the thing, sure, the eyes are taken off of him. But all of a sudden, there's no pressure on the organization to really go make a move. Like we saw with with when the Thunder traded for Paul George, that was just as much to get Russell Westbrook to sign his five year extension as it was to get Paul George in the building. Because that was a that was a gamble. They they really really gambled on that one. Paul George, all indications were pointed that he was going to L.A. And yeah, he decided to stay in Oklahoma City. But just as much as getting Paul George to Oklahoma City was about. You know that in in and of itself, it was also about getting Westbrook to sign that extension. And maybe if they don't trade for Paul George, it's possible Russell Westbrook doesn't sign that extension. So I think Giannis not signing the extension, while it will 
I don't want to say cause a headache, but it'll be a, a minor distraction. It's actually could be a major distraction. We saw what happened with Anthony Davis, but I, I think it could play and play to his benefit if he actually holds out because I think it will force the the Bucks to play their hand and maybe go after a, a Bradley Beal type. It it might help him personally with holding the leverage, but from everything that I've read about him and, and the interviews he's given is that he's not really interested in all that. And, and I don't know if it's the European background of being more focused on the team. You hear Jokic talk about this a, a lot, but like there's something about those, the players who come from Europe are way, are very, very focused on the team more so than, than probably their own self and their own self-interest. So yes, if it's just Giannis making a, the best decision for Giannis to maximize dollars and, and potentially championships, it would probably be that that he holds out and does the LeBron approach and not commit to never, you know, never commit more than one season out. But I just don't think that's him. He is there any way that you see him leaving the Bucks, or is it just a matter of when when he signs this, this extension? The only way that I could see him leaving the Bucks is if for some reason they they trade him, which I think will, would not happen, but. He's given interviews where he says he doesn't want to work out or play pickup with other superstar NBA players. Like he doesn't want to want to play pickup in the Chris Brickley games or the Rico Hines games out in LA because he doesn't want to, you know, become friendly with the guys who he's trying to beat. And so I just don't see him leaving Milwaukee to go team up with a superstar if he won't work out with them. And just to just to talk specifically about his game for a minute. He definitely got more comfortable, I felt, as the season went on and the playoffs progressed at shooting jump shots. Like he just shot more of them. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily because he was more confident in his shot or it was because that's all he could really get because teams were clogging the paint. But it was noticeable that he was shooting more. And if he can get that jump shot, just be, you know, a little below average, he becomes unguardable. But the one thing that I would say, and it wasn't really a glaring weakness all season, but it it really, really was his Achilles heels in the playoffs, particularly in that series against the Raptors, was how he struggled at the free throw line. Like, I can't remember the last time he went to the line and made both. He was usually missing one, usually badly, and then making the other. He kept splitting pairs. And I think he finished the last three or four games like 13 for 28 or 13 for 29. And for a guy who shot 73% in the regular season, so many of these games were coming down to the last possession. A couple of them went to overtime, one to double overtime. And, you know, I'm not sure if it was getting to his head, the pressure was getting to him, but that was just something that I noticed and something that hopefully it was just kind of like a blip on the radar and he can improve upon. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that that was just kind of a little bit of a blip, and I'm not too worried about it because I have faith that Giannis is, because if you've followed his trajectory since he got into the league, he's gotten to be a better and better shooter each year, way smoother, and just looks way better. So I have no doubt that Giannis understands his own struggles at the free throw line like no one wants to be getting heckled by drake because you airballed a free throw uh because that's going to live forever on instagram and youtube and, and twitter so i have a i have a lot of faith in Giannis really working on his shot this off season and i i don't know how great of a free throw shooter he has to become because lebron doesn't shoot that well from the free throw line lebron's always in the 70 percent range so I think that if Giannis can get up to 70, 
76 to 78% and just have more confidence in himself in the playoffs because I think that was the big thing as as we talked about before this was his first run to this to this spot in the playoffs and so just the key is that he just has to get a lot more comfortable it's it's not even so much the percentages on his free throws it's the willingness to be aggressive because it almost seemed like him missing the free throws was kind of getting into his psyche. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was not attacking the rim as hard. He was kind of being a little passive just because you know he he airballed a couple free throws, missed a couple badly, and that was getting in his head. So it's not even so much improving. Like he could almost, you know, if he wants to shoot 65%, so be it. But, you know, be relentless in attacking the rim. And I think the fact that he missed so many free throws kind of you know, played with his aggressiveness and ultimately it, it didn't really, it hurt the Bucks in the long run, I think. And that's just something to kind of keep an eye on moving forward, I'd say. My my last question for you about this series is, because when I was watching, I, I was struggling with, with trying to figure out if Giannis was being passive or if he was trying to recognize and adjust the defense because every single time he would drive, like it felt like the the whole defense would collapse on him a lot. So was he being passive and not being aggressive, or was he just like I'm being triple teamed, so someone else has to be open? Like I, I couldn't really tell sometimes. I think it was probably a little bit of both, but I would say with Kawhi guarding him for the first two rounds of the playoffs, he had bigs on him, be it you know Thon Maker, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, Al Horford. All of a sudden, he has Kawhi who is arguably the best defender in the NBA. And now all of a sudden, when a 6'8 guy is able to contain you and you're trying to get to the rim, and now all of a sudden you have seven foot, two seven-foot guys in Ibaka and Gasol coming over to try and stuff your, stuff your shot, after a while, we, we talked about his lack of aggression. Maybe he's just physically beat up. I mean, you keep attacking the rim time after time after time, and you're just getting, I mean, basically assaulted on your way to the rack. Yeah, I think that might have something to do with it. What do you think? Yeah, I I thought it was that he was, as you say, it, it looked a little bit of fatigue, and then it also just seemed like he was trying. He was trying to he was trying to pass the ball and be a team guy, as well. It it it, it felt like it was changing on almost every possession. That sometimes it was passive because Kawhi was guarding him, but then other times it was that he was. Everyone was collapsing, and so he knew, and he was trying to have faith in his teammates who started to struggle a lot towards the end of the series, shooting from from the perimeter, trying to keep faith in them by still giving them the ball. What what I like to call the LeBron approach by still passing to Jeff Green and you know George Hill last year, just like keep just try, try, just trying to show that he trusts them. His teammates, I think, are way superior to a lot of players who have been in his situation. Just young guys coming up, trying to really make their first I mean make their first run in the playoffs and in the league but it's his sixth season KD and LeBron didn't taste some of the success until you know years eight nine ten and so I think there's still obviously there's room for Giannis to improve but um what the Bucks do this offseason will be one of the more interesting things to kind of keep an eye on 100 percent and so we're going to take a quick break right here and then when we come back we're going to break down the NBA finals matchup So, Kelly, breaking news 
the last couple of days. I can't remember which one, but Kevin Durant still out for game one. Which brings me to a question for you. The Raptors have home court. No KD, no Boogie. Do you think the Raptors can win game one? I hope they win game one, so it's interesting. Because if all of a sudden the Golden State Warriors go up and go up to the six and, you know, embarrass the Raptors and Drake on the on their home turf, it might be, you know, Groundhog Day and everyone's saying Warriors are gonna win it again. I think Toronto if Katie doesn't play game one, I think that's a game they have to win. Yeah. You lose that game, and all of a sudden, Katie's return is looming, either be it in game two or game three. And your margin of error is so small when you play the Warriors. You have to take advantage of the opportunities, especially when Kevin Durant's not on the lineup. Yeah, that that's so true. And and I wanted to ask you about this, too. So I... I think the Raptors have a real chance to win Game One, and I'm definitely pulling for them because I've been I've been calling the Raptors the whole season, and so we'll, we'll get to our finals pick at at the end. But I I'm pulling for the Raptors. They have a great home court crowd, a great team. But so you, but so you're talking about making the most of your opportunities when Duran is out, and I'm wondering if the if the coaching staff for the Raptors kind of what their game plan is going to be because the Warriors are such a hard team to guard that we see in a lot of times like Cleveland would always get blasted games one and two and before making it a competitive series so how long do you think that the adjustment will take for Toronto to get used to guarding the Warriors and playing the Warriors to be honest I don't think it's going to be much adjusting because think about it two of their starters played for the Spurs a Spurs team that could have beaten the Warriors had Kawhi not gone down. Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard have experience. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. I I worry about Toronto's ability to score offensively because they really, really do rely upon Kawhi. But defensively, I'm not sure there's a team in the league that matches up better with Golden State just because their versatility, their ability to switch basically one through four. I... I I want to talk about Marcus Gasol in a minute, but between Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Danny Green, if those four are on the court, you can switch just about all of the Warriors' actions, and it's, you know, you're not really, there's not much of a drop-off. Grant, like, Kawhi is certainly the best defender, but those other three can certainly hold their weight. The thing I'm a little concerned about is Marcus Gasol, and particularly if Boogie Cousins uh, doesn't play, because oddly, I think I think it actually will benefit the Warriors if Boogie sits out rather than if Boogie plays. Because if Boogie plays, then Marcus Saul plays, and that's advantage Toronto in that matchup. I think right now Boogie's coming off an injury. If Boogie doesn't play, I'm not really sure there's a room for Marcus Saul in this series. I mean, I think he could guard obviously Looney, he could guard Jordan Bell, and you know, I I heard I think it was Kevin O'Connor talking about this on one of his podcasts, but talk about the pick and roll with the Warriors and, and can and can they guard it. But the Warriors run the least or in in the very bottom of, of the NBA total number of pick and rolls. So I know that they run a lot of screens off the ball and requires a lot, a lot of switching, but I think on, on the flip side is who guards Marcus Gasol for them. Because Marcus Gasol is a very good passer. He spaces the floor for Toronto. 
and he's a very good rebounder too. So I could see if, if Marcus Hall is able to offensive rebound, he he can play because I don't see anyone on the Warriors being able to really guard him because they don't want to play Kavon Looney thirty eight minutes. That that's a fair point. And going back to what you said about you know the Warriors running few ball screens. I was thinking of it more so just in terms of conserving energy with all the screens off ball because the Raptors, I mean, Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet both had good series, but they really don't have great depth. No. So if these guys don't have to necessarily chase Steph Curry and Klay Thompson around and can more so when these guys go off screens, dump them off to a, t- a nearby teammate and really just switch off. I think that's just that's key. Not e- not even that they have to do that, but that they have the ability to do, to do that. So if guys kind of get gassed or fatigued, that's an option. But Marcus Gasol, Kawhi is their fulcrum offensively. You could make the argument that Marcus Gasol has been their second most important player in the playoffs. Kyle Lowry's played great, but Marcus Gasol, what he did defensively against Joel Embiid, he's knocked down timely threes. It doesn't always show up in the box score, similarly to how Draymond Green's impact doesn't always show up in the box score. But I think Ibaka might be a better option in certain scenarios, particularly if... I mean, Kayvon Kayvon Looney is... I don't want to say underrated, but I don't think he's appreciated as much as he should be. Here's a guy who... He's very good. He's very good. He's very good. He's very good. He's a free agent. I think he's going to get paid quite nicely, but... I'm I'm just interested to see whether or not Boogie plays and how that affects Marcus Gasol and kind of his role in this series. Yeah, I, I think it would definitely be interesting. Speaking to the Baca point first, the the advantage that I think Gasol has over him is just consistency, man. I mean, when when a Baca plays, you never know what you're going to get out of him. And against the Warriors, you need you need to know that guys are going to show up and play consistent and because there's just you don't have that margin for error as as you were saying so i could see abaka playing a lot when he's on but when he's you know not dialed in and missing easy shots i could see him playing a, a lot less i i think that the raptors are going to give a chance to pat mccall in this series former warrior love it i think they're, they're going to give him a chance to play and and i wouldn't be surprised if on the flip side they give Jeremy Lin just, just just a chance to play because Lin is a very good pick and roll player, and especially if Cousins does play, you can attack the Warriors in the pick and roll. And the Rockets have proved that that that's a viable strategy is that you hunt the matchup. And Lin's a good player, and if he can get Looney on him and, and drive in and, and just try to make something happen in short spurts, coming off the bench, I. I think that could be a really interesting strategy twist because the Warriors also don't have that 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 great depth either. Yeah, I don't hate that idea, but the the reason I th- I think that Jeremy Lin hasn't played is because he's a total defensive liability, and against the Warriors, yeah, that's no bueno. That's that's not going to fly. So we'll we'll see what happens. I do like the idea of Patrick McCall though, just as you know, revenge. He's his third year in the NBA, and it's his third NBA final. So the dude's doing something right. And, and and just speaking to to Lynn really quickly, you know I, I understand he's a defensive liability, but if Quinn Cook can play in these finals, I think Lynn can play too. You, you just have to hunt the right matchup for for when to give him a shot. Valid valid point. Last thing I want to hit on before we make our predictions, which will be very interesting. I'm not sure if we're on the same page. We will see. This 
series will have major ramifications as it pertains to free agency. Both Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard are going to either be able to stay in their respective locales or head elsewhere. And I want to, I mean, Kevin Durant's a total wild card and I know Kawhi Leonard is as well, but particularly on the Kawhi Leonard front, because this is his first season in Toronto. Do you think if he were to win the finals or lose the finals in which under which circumstances do you think he's more likely to stay in Toronto? That's a great question because we know so little about Kawhi that we don't like we don't really know what he's thinking or what he's le- leaning towards. Chris, I think it was Chris Haynes wrote a really good piece for for Yahoo with uh, featuring the the infamous Uncle Dennis, who is his uncle, who serves as his agent and, and manager. And it was actually really interesting because <laughs> Uncle Dennis has gotten a bad rap, and and he really I thought gave a lot of insightful quotes just in terms of you know I, I really do feel like they're they're thinking about this after the season and. I think that it would be really, really hard to if if the Raptors were able to win the series and Kawhi wins Finals MVP. We see that the way that the city treats him now. You have all the billionaires giving him a penthouse apartment for free, and every restaurant saying Kawhi eats here for free. He has a chance to be beloved in in a city, and not a lot of athletes have a chance to do that. So I think it's I I, I think it's more likely that if they lose the finals, he leaves. To answer your original question, because I think if they win, he'll re-sign for at least one or two more years to be like the hero in, in, in Toronto. If he wants legacy and he wants money, I think Toronto's the place to be. He has a whole entire country basically riding behind him and cheering him on, and he'll be able to sign a crazy mega deal with the Raptors this offseason. But just imagine this. He'd be the ultimate mercenary if he goes from San Antonio up to Toronto, wins a championship, says, you know, this is what I was brought here to do. It can't really get any better than that, right? And then he goes to play for the Clippers. I honestly think it's more likely that he leaves if they win the championship than if they lose the championship, as crazy as that sounds. And I might I might be overthinking this a little bit. I don't know. But if he were to win, that's exactly what he was brought there to do. He can go to L.A., enjoy his $13 million penthouse and he, he will have been an nba champion in two different cities and probably a finals mvp at that are we sure that okay so i've heard a lot about this are we sure that that penthouse is actually in la because i thought it was in san diego and the last time i looked at a map san diego and los angeles are not that close hey if, if philip rivers can make the commute i think Kawhi leonard can make the commute yeah but like philip rivers is psychotic and we all know that <laughs> he's dude's got like Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard kids. might be psychotic. We don't we don't know that. I know he might but, be. I know, but like Rivers has fourteen kids. He yells at everyone on the sidelines. He's 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 just nuts. But it it would be really interesting to this, this idea of Kawhi as a mercenary because he he fits the the mercenary role very well because it's like no emotion, just shows up, does the job, crosses people off the list that that he has to kill in the playoffs. And just, you know, him as a mercenary is actually a, a really good analogy because he shows no emotion. It's like a hitman who just does the job and, you know, doesn't get attached to anything. Honestly, I don't even think the people closest, his inner circle, I think, has an idea. But even those with the Raptors, I think they're still kind of left in the dark. So 
it'll it'll be interesting i'm not even sure if this series will have an impact on what happens i maybe he already has his mind made up maybe he doesn't but uh i mean you never know with never know with Kawhi. so predictions dave this is a tough one because kevin Durant is kind of the lingering variable you don't know when he's going to return but with the information we currently have kevin Durant is definitely out game one his return might be coming in game two it might not be which way are you leaning in this series this is this is really hard because the Warriors feel and have felt inevitable ever since they signed Kevin Durant. And when and when you watch them play, I don't think there's ever been a team who consistently gets down double digits more than them and somehow comes back to win and the whole time it's like it's not as surprising anymore. It's like, yeah, of course they won. So but I think that the, the Durant thing looming over and the Cousins thing is going to impact them more than we think because it's harder to, I feel like, to integrate those guys back into the system if they choose to play, if that makes any sense, because they, cause, cause they need the ball. They don't play with that same type of motion that, that all these guys are so good at and what they have done before them. And I think that it'll be really interesting if, if they're up 2-1 in game three and Cousins is a go and or Durant's a go coming back for game four if they want to bring those guys back and just kind of mess with it so with that type of uncertainty and and I think Durant will miss most of the series or if he comes back he'll be very limited and I think Toronto with Kawhi they're, they're riding the momentum I don't want to say that they have the best player without Durant on the court in Kawhi but they, they, you could make the argument, and I think that the Raptors will do just enough to make it a competitive series. And the fact that they have home court is a huge thing. So, so I'll be that guy. I'll be bold. Raptors in seven. Wow, calling your shot. I love it. This is def- This is like you said. It's the Raptors have home court, and I do not think that. I, I, I don't think we can overlook that. This. They arguably, I don't even want to say arguably, I think they have the best fan base and probably the biggest home court advantage in the NBA. Do you think that's that outlandish of a statement? I think that they have a great fan base, but I, I think they have a great fan base, but you have to give proper due and respect to the fans at Oracle for the Warriors, Oklahoma City for the, for the, for the Thunder, and the, and the Utah fans. So they're, they're certainly top five. Yeah, for sure. This series, Golden State starts out on the road I, I want to pull the trigger and go Toronto just because I'm uncertain on Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins to some extent, but I don't even think he's really a difference maker in this series. We've seen this Golden State team play the past five games without Kevin Durant, and they have played very well against Portland. Draymond Green has been a different animal. I want to pick the Raptors I can't do it I'm going I'm going Warriors in six the Warriors catch a lot of flack or Kevin Durant catches a lot of flack for this idea that they're better without him I think in a series like this with the type of defenders that Golden or that Toronto can throw at the at the Warriors I think his scoring assuming he comes back and is healthy which is a big if but I'm feel comfortable picking the Warriors in six games that'll be four championships in five years and Kevin Durant can joyfully go join the Knicks see I think that if the Warriors win this series 
it'll be in four or five. Like, I don't think that they let it get to six. Like, I don't know how this will work, but I could either see the Warriors just just absolutely stomping them and winning in four or the Raptors winning in seven. But I'm picking the Raptors. I think that they're going to pull it out. If you could see the Warriors winning this in four games, I'm not sure how you could possibly pick the Raptors. Because I because you know you say that okay when it comes down to it I think they're all going to be pretty close games, and I think the Warriors are going to blast them on on Thursday night in in Game One, and it comes down to it if if Steph hits a couple daggers late in the game that that could be the difference you know the the Cavs Warriors series were a lot closer than people remember but Durant hit those daggers in in Game Three that really put it away you know yeah so. I, I'm still riding Raptors in seven, but it wouldn't absolutely shock me, is what I'm saying, is that if this series was over in four or five. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if the Raptors won the series, but I, I think it's more likely, quite frankly, that the Warriors win in, I don't want to say four because that's super disrespectful to the Raptors, but they win in five, then the Raptors win it all, like win the series in any number of games. I just... I'd love to pick them, but I just I don't I can't see it happening. Warriors are a juggernaut. Yeah, it, it's going to be great drama for sure because you're going to have Drake trying to get in the heads of all the Warriors, and you know Draymond's going to give it right back to him. So that'll be great to see because because well, all that's going on, Kawhi is going to be a stone face assassin. Yeah, I hope Drake flies out to Oakland because you know he and oh he will be there. He's got to be. He's he's a phony if he's not. Yeah, Drake Drake will be there for sure. All right, Dave. Any, I mean, our Yankees are thirty-five and eighteen. You know, they're first place in the AL East with this AAA roster. Well, I don't know what else. What else are you keeping an eye on in the sports world? Yeah, so we're not going to talk about the Yankees because uh, I believe in jinxes. So we're not going to talk about them uh, at all. Uh, they're doing they're doing well, but I don't want to do anything to to be you know called for the reason why they start losing. If we jinx them, maybe you know their guys will stop getting hurt. They have basically an all-star roster on the DL right now. Yeah, but you know, it's just the the, the trainers. You know, they got to earn their money, and you know this is this is great for them. So, did you read the Baxter Holmes ESPN article about the Lakers today? Yeah, dumpster fire, dumpster fire. That that's all I have. To, I don't even have any other thoughts. Here's my main thought: You're calling it a dumpster fire, and it just seems so bizarre, so many of of the details that as, as you're reading it, like this all can't like this all just can't be true. But then you're reading it and the things are so specific that it's, you know, it would have to be true. And Bachelor Home is obviously a very good writer, but it's like as you're reading it, it's you're almost in disbelief that that these things were going on. The the one that got me was that Heath Ledger one with Kobe. Oh my uh, Kobe God. supposedly met up with Heath Ledger to discuss how he got into that role in the Dark Knight. And then when you put the timetable together, Heath Ledger died six months before the Dark Knight was even released. So Palinka's obviously lying. And there was actually, I saw a video of that story being told by Rob Palinka. So it's not only Baxter Holmes reporting, there's, you know, video evidence of yeah. that storytelling taking place. And it's just. 
we have all summer to talk about the Lakers dysfunction, but there's a reason why, you know, they're not even sniffing playoff basketball while all these other franchises are, you know, thriving and competing for NBA championships. One of the most storied franchises in NBA history is turning into a laughingstock. Yeah. And it's not the Knicks. So, and then, and then the last, the, the last story is, uh, I was watching get up this morning before going to, before going to work out and, they had R.J. Hampton on, who's a top 10 player in his high school class, and his final three, I think it was Texas Tech, Kansas, and I, I want to say Kentucky, but, but that might all be wrong. And he announces that he's going to go play in the Australian League. He's going to forego college and go to Australia, which was really, really interesting to me because he is, by all accounts, not a kid who had any eligibility concerns and that he's doing this by choice. So I think that would be a really interesting thing to to keep an eye on going forward is is kids who don't have eligibility concerns going more choosing the choosing the overseas route more often than than the college route. Yeah, because he's one of these guys. He's not really an Emmanuel Moutier type or Terrence Ferguson that had academic concerns, like you said. He was really doing this or Brian Bowen. Yeah, right. He's doing this. I don't know. I don't necessarily want to say he's doing it for the money, although that doesn't hurt. But playing against grown men on a nightly and daily basis and competing against them, I think that probably gets you more prepared for NBA basketball than college basketball, although there is something to be said for the branding and just kind of the notoriety notoriety that one receives playing the college game. But, I mean, maybe this strengthens the NCAA stance on potentially allowing players to make money off their likeness or maybe the g league steps up and has some other alternative but i think amateur basketball is coming to a crossroads and i don't think he'll be the last one to make this decision he's definitely not the first and sooner rather than later i think this archaic collegiate basketball system in the way in which these players are kind of starting to realize they're not compensated in a manner that is on the same playing as kind of the revenue they're bringing in you know it's something they're starting to realize and they're starting to act upon it but but i do think that the value of going to college for a player as good as hampton is and we saw it with zion this passing is that if you go to college and you do really well it builds i hate saying this term of it builds your brand but it builds your notoriety and people know who you are and if he goes and plays in australia and no matter how well he does He's not going to get the same type of publicity in America from the casual basketball fan as if he went to Kentucky. And I still think that that's going to be the difference is that for these guys who want to go play at Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina, they do well if they're Zion or RJ or Alonzo Ball out in UCLA. Like if Alonzo Ball went and played in Australia, no one would care who he was unless you're an NBA draft expert or an NBA scout. But the fact that he went to UCLA and played really, really well means that the casual fan knew a lot about him. And so I think that's still going to hold back a lot of these kids is that because they're, you know, you, you, you have all these kids in high school with hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. LeBron James Jr., I think is over a million now, and his account went live yesterday or something. So I think that they're trying to control their their story and their brand and their marketability starting way younger, and I think that they all know the value of going to a major college because if you go to Duke or Michigan, it, it, it raises you to a level that 
I still don't think international basketball can get you to in, in terms of fame. Yeah, that's totally fair. And that's why not many people choose to go this route. But when those that do, you, I, I don't really have a problem with him doing it. If that's what he wants to do, so be it. But I, I don't think it will become a trend. But I think him choosing it along with some other guys kind of puts some pressure on some of these, you know, the NCAA for sure. And maybe even the, the G League to form some alternative domestic path. Yeah, it's the, the, the pressure's on the G League, and, and I totally agree. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can reach us on Twitter, dbl underscore dbl podcast is our handle, or you can email us double double four zero two at gmail.com thanks everyone for listening take care and make it a great day